0: Part four of the Ice Palace by F. Scott Fitzgerald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four. The first week of her visit passed in a whirl. She had her promised toboggan ride at the back of an automobile through a chill January twilight. Swathed in furs, she put in a morning tobogganing on the country club hill, even tried skiing to sail through the air for a glorious moment, and then land in a tangled, laughing bundle on a soft snowdrift. She liked all the winter sports, except an afternoon spent snowshoeing over a glaring plain under pale yellow sunshine, but she soon realized that these things were for children, that she was being humored, and that the enjoyment round her was only a reflection of her own. At first the Bellamy family puzzled her. The men were reliable, and she liked them. To mr bellamy especially with his iron gray hair and energetic dignity she took an immediate fancy once she found that he was born in kentucky this made of him a link between the old life and the new but toward the women she felt a definite hostility myra her future sister-in-law seemed the essence of spiritless conversationality her conversation was so utterly devoid of personality that sally carroll who came from a country where a certain amount of charm and assurance could be taken for granted in the women was inclined to despise her if those women aren't beautiful, she thought then nothing they just fade out when you look at them. They're glorified domestics. men are the centre of every mixed group. Lastly, there was Mrs. Bellamy, whom Sally Carroll detested the first day's impression of an egg had been confirmed an egg with a cracked, veiny voice, and such an ungracious dumpiness of carriage that Sally Carroll felt that if she once fell, she would surely scramble. In addition, Mrs. Bellamy seemed to typify the town in being innately hostile to strangers. She called Sally Carroll Sally, and could not be persuaded that the double name was anything more than a tedious, ridiculous nickname. To Sally Carroll, the shortening of her name was presenting her to the public, half-clothed. She loved Sally Carroll. She loathed Sally. She knew, also, that Harry's mother disapproved of her bobbed hair, and she had never dared smoke downstairs after that first day when Mrs. Bellamy had come into the library sniffing violently. Of all the men she met, she preferred Roger Patton, who was a frequent visitor at the house. He never again alluded to the Ibsenesque tendency of the populace, but when he came in one day and found her curled upon the sofa, bent over Pierre Ghent, he laughed and told her to forget what he'd said, that it was all rot. They had been walking homeward between mounds of high-piled snow and under a sun which Sally Carroll scarcely recognized. They passed a little girl done up in gray wool until she resembled a small teddy bear and Sally Carroll could not resist a gasp of maternal appreciation. Look, Harry. What? That little girl. Did you see her face? Yes. Why? It was red as a little strawberry. Oh, she was cute. Why, your own face is almost as red as that already. Everybody's healthy here. We're out in the cold as soon as we're old enough to walk. Wonderful climate. She looked at him and had to agree he was mighty healthy-looking so was his brother and she noticed the new red in her own cheeks that very morning suddenly their glances were caught and held and they stared for a moment at the street corner ahead of them a man was standing there his knees bent his eyes gazing upward with a tense expression as though he were about to make a leap toward the chilly sky and then they both exploded into a shout of laughter for coming closer they discovered it had been a ludicrous momentary illusion produced by the extreme bagginess of the man's trousers. "'Reckon that's one on us!' she laughed. "'He must be a Southerner, judging by those trousers,' suggested Harry mischievously. "'What well, Harry?' Her surprised look must have irritated him. "'Those damn Southerners!' Sally Carroll's eyes flashed. "'Don't call them that!' "'I'm sorry, dear said Harry, malignantly apologetic, but you know what I think of them. They're sort of, sort of, degenerates. Not at all like the old Southerners. They've lived so long down there with all the colored people that they've gotten lazy and shiftless. Hush your mouth, Harry, she cried angrily. They're not. They may be lazy. Anybody would be in that climate, but they're my best friends, and I don't want to hear them Criticize in any such sweeping way. Some of them are the finest men in the world. Oh, I know. They're all right when they come north to college, but of all the hang-dog, ill-dressed, slovenly lot I ever saw, a bunch of small-town Southerners are the worst. Sally Carroll was clenching her gloved hands and biting her lip furiously. Why, continued Harry, if there was one in my class at New Haven, and we all thought at last we'd found the true type of Southern aristocrat, but it turned out that he wasn't an aristocrat at all—just the son, just the son of a northern carpetbagger who owned about all the cotton round Mobile. A Southerner wouldn't talk the way you're talking now," she said evenly. "They haven't the energy, or oh, the something else." "'I'm sorry, Sally Carroll, but I've heard you say yourself that you'd never marry.' "'That's quite different. "'I told you I wouldn't want to tie my life to any of the boys that are round Tarleton now, "'but I never made any sweeping generalities.' "'They walked along in silence. "'I probably spread it on a bit thick, Sally Carroll. I'm sorry.' "'She nodded, but made no answer. Five minutes later, as they stood in the hallway, "'She suddenly threw her arms round him. "'Oh, Harry!' she cried, her eyes brimming with tears. "'Let's get married next week. "'I'm afraid of having fussums like that. "'I'm afraid, Harry. "'It wouldn't be that way if we were married.' "'But Harry, being in the wrong, was still irritated. "'That'd be idiotic. "'We decided on March.' "'The tears in Sally Carroll's eyes faded. "'Her expression hardened slightly.' Very well. I suppose I shouldn't have said that. Harry melted. Dear little nut, he cried, come and kiss me and let's forget. That very night at the end of a vaudeville performance the orchestra played Dixie and Sally Carroll felt something stronger and more enduring than her tears and smiles of the day brim up inside her. She leaned forward, gripping the arms of her chair until her face grew crimson. Sort of get you, dear, whispered Harry. But she did not hear him. To the limited throb of the violins and the inspiring beat of the kettle drums, her own old ghosts were marching by and on into the darkness, and as the fifes whistled and sighed in the low encore, they seemed so nearly out of sight that she could have waved goodbye. Away, away Away down south the Dixie Away Away. Away down south in Dixie. End of part four.